Get your Bibles open. We're going to get into our, our message this morning, continuing on the miracle of mercy. Last week we talked about how mercy forgives those who are fallen and how we need to be people who walk in a spirit of forgiveness and love and mercy towards others. And this morning I want to talk about how mercy helps the hurting. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 10, which happens to be the location of one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. It's the story that probably everybody in this room has heard before. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And really, if you, if you had to encapsulate this uh, parable, it's really a parable of unexpected mercy. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's unexpected mercy. It's somebody who finds himself in a difficult situation and needs help and receives mercy in a very unexpected way. It's a powerful story. It's one that we all know and one that we all love. And even last Sunday, as we talked about the forgiveness side of mercy, that mercy requires us to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us, Today we're going to focus on the opposite side of the coin, and that's the compassion side of mercy. That mercy requires us not only to forgive, but mercy requires us to act in, in, in ways of love towards other people who have needs or who are hurting themselves. And so, you know, I think around this holiday season, of course, everybody's hearts are tenderized to the needs of other people. We see the Salvation Army folks out with their handbells doing the, the good work that they do. Uh, you might see some people on street corners uh, asking for handouts or whatever. And I don't know about you, but does anybody ever feel like overwhelmed with the amount of hurt and pain and need and suffering in the world? And it's almost so overwhelming that you just stop and you go, you ask this question right here well, what in the world am I supposed to do about all this? Have any of you ever asked that question? If you haven't, it's a good question. What, what am I supposed to do? And not just like, what am I supposed to do? But Lord, what, what, what do you expect me to do? Because how many of you know at the end of the day, it's really about God's will for our lives and living lives that give him honor and glory. And so we ask ourselves this. And then if you're like me, you probably have those memories of times when you walked by your opportunity to love somebody. And as you walked by, you realize I just walked by an opportunity. And then there's this little tinge of maybe guilt or some shame, like, you know what, I, my selfishness got in the way, my schedule got in the way. You know, Amy, I was just reading, Amy Braley, my wonderful teacher friend, um, reading the Facebook post that you had. In fact, I might get you up here next week when we have a little more time to share that. Um, but Amy had an amazing account that she posted of simply going to a gas station and having a God interruption that she almost missed, um, but that she took advantage of, and it ended up becoming an am- amazing ministry opportunity. But we, we all have these situations around us, and the problem is we, we generally fall into three categories as far as our response. And I want to look at these three common responses to people in need. And maybe you can identify with one of the three, if not more. The first one is, I keep my distance. I keep my distance. Look with me in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We're going to read a couple passages here, a couple verses. It says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, But when he saw the man lying there, check out what he did. He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. How many of you have ever been there? You, you, you recognize that there are people with needs, but you really don't want to focus in too much. You want to pretend like you don't see. In fact, you're going to kind of go around the need as it's presented and you're going to go on the other side of the road to make sure you avoid getting involved. 
you switch sides, you pretend you don't see the person. In fact, a lot of people don't want to get too close to people because if you get too close to people, guess what you find out that every person has? Problems. Isn't that amazing? And if we get too close to people... By extension, it means we get too close to their problems. And if we are made aware of their problems, then we all know that we're expected at that point to help the person. And at the end of the day, we really don't want to get too close because we don't want to help people. We don't want to ask questions. And so we stay at arm's length. And maybe you've seen this even at church. You know, it's easy for people to kind of have an arm extended distance from one another. So when we greet one another on Sunday morning, I might say, hey, Matt, how you doing? And I'm walking. He says, hey, good pastor. Great, great, great. Glad. Have a good week. Bless you. And um, if he if he if he said, I said, Matt, how you doing? He said, well, let me tell you, I would still be on my way because I don't want you to go into the details about how bad it was because I might have to hear it and then I might be sucked in. To trying to bring part of the solution. And so we say things like this, don't we? I'll pray for you. That's code word for I'm going to do nothing about the <laughs> terrible predicament that you're in. Now, now, let me just put a comma there. We need to pray for one another. I'm not suggesting prayer is not important. Prayer is one of the best things you can do for somebody. But, but here's my caution. When you say you're going to pray for somebody, pray for somebody. On Facebook, when somebody shares a a need and you put praying, make sure that as you're putting praying that you're offering prayers up on behalf of that person and you're asking for God's intervention. But how many know prayer is just one side of the coin? Uh, God wants us to pray. We should pray. I want to encourage everybody to pray. Uh, But sometimes we're the answer to our own prayers, are we not? And God's calling us to get up and do something about it. But it's interesting that the, the, the... picture Jesus gives of the first example of avoidance is a priest. The professional caregivers, the professional experts at mercy. He's picking on guys like me. Jesus, what are you doing? All right, but guess why he's picking on professionals? I use that term with quotes. I'm being totally facetious. It's because Jesus is trying to point out that, you know what? People who are, people who know Christ, people who know Jesus, people who represent the Lord should be leading the way with mercy, not avoiding it. And here's the problem. The priest was too holy to be helpful. He was too holy to be helpful. He, he didn't want to get stained by all that stuff and dirtiness of life. He didn't want to get stained with it. He had a lifestyle of avoidance. And let me just say this. A lot of us are this way. We'll, we'll go to church. We'll go to Bible studies. We'll study mercy. We'll do everything except don't ask me to actually do anything practical to help somebody. In other words, we'll put on all the veneer of mercy, religion, helping people, um, but we don't lift a finger ourselves to actually do it. And I want to encourage you, don't be the kind of person that can't help the person because you're on your way to Bible study. In fact, I love Jerry Harvey told an amazing story a number of years back. We were preaching about getting involved and being not only leaders in your family, leaders in your church, but leaders in the community. And I think you had just been in the biblical worldview class and we were teaching about how men need to get involved in speaking out and leading on issues in our community that are important issues. Well, it just turned out that a strip club was looking to open in Michigan City and they were having a public hearing. They wanted to hear all sides. You know, that's what politicians do. We have hearings. We bring in everybody, let everybody speak. And um, and Jerry was supposed to be at Bible study that night here. 
And so he's, in his mind, he's going, do I go to this hearing to stand up and to, and to express my uh, disagreement for, in other words, be the priest in my community and say over my dead body, are you going to bring a strip club into my community? Or do I go to Bible study? How many of you know the purpose of Bible study is to get you ready to show up at the strip club hearing? And he made the right choice. He said, I kept hearing your words going off in my head about public engagement. And you know what? Jerry went there that night. The sad thing was there weren't a lot of clergy there that night, uh, which is sad. I told Jerry, I said, you check it out. I said, your, bo- your voice will matter because you will be one of a few, a handful of people with enough courage to stand up and to express your disagreement over this. But here's my point. How many of you know it does us no good to go to a Bible study or to a church where we're going to talk about mercy when we avoid actually practicing mercy? And I just want to tell you as your pastor, if you have the choice of showing up at a religious gathering, Bible study, church service, whatever it is, or actually practicing on uh, something that interrupted your schedule, I give you my full blessing in Jesus' name to, uh, to miss the Bible study, to go be the Bible study. Amen? Miss hearing about Jesus, to go be Jesus and touch somebody else. We have to default to a position of action, not just pontificating or philosophizing about what this thing called mercy is. We have to, we have to actually be merciful. All right, so don't take the I keep my distance approach. And then number two, here's another common response to people in need. I'm curious, but I'm uninvolved. Look at verse 32. It says, the temple assistant, some of your translations say Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Now, this is even worse. This guy took the time to walk right up and examine the guy laying there, beaten up, bloodied on the ground, and he checked him out out of curiosity, and then he just went on with his work. Now, some of you that have long drives to work, how many of you know when there's a car accident, everybody's gawking, and they have this massive traffic jam because everybody wants to see who was hurt or what damage was done? But I mean, you know, very few people stop the car to get out and actually try to help anybody. They just want to see because we're curious about what's going on in people's lives. We're curious about the hurt and the pain. But at the end of the day, again, we don't want to get involved. This guy was too religious to be relational. And I can't, uh, he said, I, basically, I can't help you. I'm on my way to this Bible study. I can't help you. I got more important things to do, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus is messing with us again because he was picking with the pastors in the first illustration. Now he's picking on the worship team. Because guess what the Levites were? They were the worship leaders at the church. They, they, were, the, they were the temple assistants in leading worship. Basically, what he's saying is the worship team, they wanted to go over and check this guy out, but they couldn't stop the help because they had to get to worship team practice, all right, before the service. They had to hurry up for their meeting. Once again, we've got this problem of being so busy with our religious activity that we can't stop and help people. So they ignore the problem. They think maybe somebody else is going to take care of it, or maybe it will just go away. Which leads us to the third example, which is the example Jesus sets forward as the picture or pattern for us. We pick up reading in verse 33. And this this example says, I get close enough to care. I get close enough to care. It says, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. Verse 35 says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. 
And Jesus asks a profound question to all of us this morning. He says, uh, Jesus says, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man gives the correct answer in verse 37. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And look at Jesus' response. Yes, good answer. Great job. You nailed it. Now go, Jesus says, and do the same. Go and do the same. In other words, you treat people the way you want to be treated. You love people the way you want to be loved. You be the kind of friend that you want to have friends in your own life. You see, mercy takes action where others simply want to take off. Many people take off running at the point of mercy, but mercy takes action. It's not afraid to get its hands dirty. And Jesus is meddling again with the sacred cows. He picks on the clergy. He picks on the worship team. And now he picks as the hero of his parable, the most unlikely hero. He picks, as it says in the passage, a hated, a despised Samaritan. Because he knew that that his audience, when listening to this, when they heard the word Samaritan, certain things would go off inside of them. They had a hatred for the, for the Samaritans. They, they, they had a racist uh, root in there that was uh, deep and strong. They hated their religion. They hated their politics. They hated everything about them. But how many of you have figured out mercy isn't about just being kind and loving to people who are like you? Mercy is about loving people made in the image and likeness of God, sometimes who are very different than us and sometimes who don't like us, sometimes who are our enemies. Mercy is not colorblind. Mercy, mercy loves the nations of the world and the people of the world, and mercy reaches out and does something practical about it. That's the power of mercy. Ironically, in this story, it was the Jewish leaders in the parable who ignored their Jewish brother. It was the despised Samaritan who went and took care of their Jewish brother. And we were sharing earlier, the Lord reminded me, when we were in Chicago working with YWAM there, uh, Brad Stanley, the YWAM director for about a, a couple decades, was telling us a story of a recent Muslim man who came to know Jesus. And as he was listening to this man's story, what he heard was something really amazing. He said when this man arrived in Chicago, he had no family, he had no home, he had no money. Um, he's just trying to get established in a new community. So he immediately went to the mosque. And amazingly, he said the mosque did not help him. Then he went to his his, uh, Muslim brothers expecting help. And he said he received very little support and help from his Muslim brothers. And he was sitting one night in a McDonald's all by himself with no money and no place to live. When one of the YWAM students came in and began witnessing to this man and helping him in practical ways and moved him in to the YWAM compound and gave him a place to stay. And this is the amazing thing. What converted this man? What touched this man's heart? It was the love of God's people, not his own people, but the love of people who were supposed to be his enemies, who were loving him and expressing uh, tangible demonstrations of affection. I mean, you know, at some point, it's our actions that are the proof of our pudding. It's the way we love people that makes all the difference in the world. And that's what the Samaritan did. Mercy touches everyone. And uh, in this passage, I want to see there's four steps that Jesus gives us. And I'll close with this. Four steps that Jesus gives us for showing mercy. Point number one, I want you to see from the text. I must first see the needs of people that are around me. Mercy always begins with our eyes. It always starts with the eyes. It starts with your vision. You cannot meet a need until you see a need. And you can't be, and you can't care rather until you're aware. So if we don't get our eyes adjusted 
if we don't slow down a little bit and start asking the Lord to open the eyes of our heart, we want to see Jesus, uh, we're going to miss Jesus and all the people that are around us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first saw Dave and Marquita and their beautiful family walk in here, I said, wow, look at that family, man, they got it all together. Look at that guy. He's a sh- one sharp dude. Look at that beautiful wife he got. Like Brother Ross says, beautiful women always marry ugly men, right? That's what Brother Ross said, not me. <laughs> not me, but I, I stood amazed. I stood amazed at this amazing family until, like all of us, I mean, you know, when we pause to get into each other's world, it's easy to think, oh, that guy's got it made, he's got, you know. But then you listen to the stories and you listen to what goes on. If you take just a moment to look and listen, you find out, wow, she's had a lot of things to overcome. David's had issues to overcome. Uh, they probably had issues in their marriage they had to overcome. Um, Naya probably had some things she's had to work through as a, as a young lady. Uh, you look at the whole family, they, everybody's got a story. The problem is if we'd never take the time to see and like even this morning in our church family, I wonder who in, this, in church this morning came here on the outside, you're trying to hold it all together. On the inside, you're literally trying to hold it all together because you're either in pain, you're in fear, you're overwhelmed, you got strife in your life, you got pressures that are overwhelming. Um, I'll bet you there's people sitting right next to you that have significant issues in their life. There are people that the holidays are hard because it's a reminder uh, of loved ones that we've lost. Um, our neighbor, uh, just right here down the street, uh, just lost her husband this year. Every time we go and hug her and see her, she just breaks down and starts crying. She's a reminder to me um, that I need to slow down enough on my way to work that if I see her outside, I need to stop. If I see her through the window, I should probably go up and knock on the door and just touch, touch her and let her know that we love her. You know, we don't have to look very far. I mean, you know, there, there's hurting people. There's people you work with that are hurting. There's people in your neighborhood, probably right across your street, right next door, um, that are hurting. And the first step is just to see it. Just to see it. Uh, to, to recognize it with your eyes. To be aware of it. And the Lord has to heal our eyes so we can see it. Look at verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He, the, this man stopped long enough to look and to see this man's broken condition, him, him groaning in pain, blood everywhere, stripped, beaten, broken, robbed. And he saw this man laying there in the ditch enough to see it, to, to experience the compassion of God. Sometimes we've got to stop long enough to let the mercy of God begin to be stirred up inside of us. But how many of you know that there's a, the number one killer of American mercy and compassion is something we especially deal with during the holiday season. And it's busyness. How many of you know the greatest ministry killer is a holiday to-do list? Because as we're racing around trying to buy all of our gifts and all of our food and get it ready and clean the house, and, and trust me, I know all about it, all right? Um, in the midst of all that busyness, it's very impossible to see any need because we are so focused on the task in front of us. Anybody out there, am I talking to you? I'm, I'm talking to me right now. We are so busy and we got so much to do that we have to be intentional about slowing down because you will never see people hurting if you're going way, way, way too fast. Busyness will kill your compassion. You got to slow down. You got to look. You got to listen. You got to have undivided attention. 
uh, and you've got to ask the Lord, Lord, who is it in my life right now? This is a great question. In fact, write this down. Think about this. Who does God want me to serve with his mercy? And if you can't think of anybody right now, you're probably too busy, all right? Who does God want me to serve with his mercy? The Bible says this, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. That's so simple, isn't it? And yet so hard to do. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So the first step to helping the hurting is simply asking God to open your eyes. Let's go to the second step. We got to move beyond just our eyes being open to being able to sympathize with people's pain. In other words, we have to feel their pain. And I don't know about you, but it's easy when we see somebody in need to start coming to false judgments or false conclusions about why they're in the situation that they're in. Have you ever done that? I know I have. You see the person standing on the street begging and, and, uh, it's like, you know what? There's people hiring all over here. Why haven't you filled out an application? Anybody ever say, okay, don't raise your hand. I'm just revealing. I'm just revealing. Or you say, you know what? If that guy's probably dealing with this, or this guy's probably got that problem, or this happened. And how many of you know, we never bothered to stop and talk to the person, so we don't really know what's going on. But we're quick to judge the situation. And you know what? You can't judge the situation and feel compassion for where people are at. You know, in, in uh, Marquita's situation, being a single mom, uh, thrown out on her own as, as a teenager, I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine the fear. I can't imagine what goes on in the heart of a single mom trying to think about a baby and trying to think about her own self and how to live and how to meet basic needs. Um, and people could could have pointed her finger at Marquita as a teenager and said, well, this is why or that's why or we had this to blame or that to blame, never stopping long enough to hear her story and to have compassion well up in their hearts to figure out what they could do to maybe be part of the solution. That's what the Lord wants us to do. I love um, what Galatians 6 two says. This is the message paraphrase, but it's so colorful. It says, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens. And look at what it says here. And complete Christ's law. What is Christ's law? Jesus summed up all of the law in one verse, didn't he? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And what's the second part of that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said when we stoop down and we care for somebody else, we release mercy. What we're doing at that very moment is fulfilling the law of Christ. We're loving people as we would want to be loved ourselves. So Jesus says to this to, to the priest who came on by, uh, who had all of his excuses, brother, you should have been looking, you should have been listening. You should have been listening with your ears so you could hear about the pain in people's hearts. Look at what it says here too. Uh, let's turn to Second Corinthians 1.4. Follow on the screen with me. The Bible says God comforts us in all of our troubles so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Isn't it interesting when you think through and you probe the depth of the pain that many of us have gone through, and some of you in this room, if you've lost loved ones, you've lost family members, you've battled with a, a disease, you've, you've had somebody do something terrible to you, mistreat you, abuse you in some way, uh, the pain is incredibly, incredibly deep, and it takes a while to work through these things. And in fact, I want to encourage you, never isolate yourself from other people when you're going through your most painful times in life. That's when we need each other the most. Make sure you stay connected. Make sure you stay with the body of Christ. But here's something else I found. When people are going through really, really painful times, 
um, their faith many times gets shaken. And they begin to doubt the Lord. And they begin to get angry towards the Lord. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Kind of like, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Which only drives home the rejection even more. Because now you're mad at the Lord. You're mad at the church. You're mad at God's people. And you just, you just isolate yourself. Which sets you up for more depression, more pain, more hurt. Uh, and takes longer to heal. But here's, let me ask you a question. What do people need the most when they're struggling with doubt in their relationship with God? Do they need to be debated with? Do they need to be demeaned, put down, made fun of? Like, where's your faith, dude? No. Do they need to be deserted? No. Let me tell you what they need. Jude chapter 1, verse 22. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Isn't that powerful? What people don't need is a lecture on 10 reasons why God exists. Um, they don't need to hear that. What they probably need more than anything is a hug and a tangible demonstration that they're loved by somebody and that there's somebody in this planet that actually cares for them. Amen? The best way we can be Jesus' hands and feet is by loving people in their deepest, darkest time. And I love this. If you'll walk through with Christ's church and with the Lord himself, if you'll let him walk you through your deepest, darkest time in your life, at some point, he will redeem that and turn it into an amazing opportunity you have to be a blessing to others. Who would have thought a 16-year-old girl, homeless girl, uh, with, a, with a newborn infant, that God, somewhere down the road, would touch her so deeply with that experience that she would want to open up a home to be a blessing and be the solution to others who are in her same predicament? There are other ladies in here who have gone through the pain of, of abortion, uh, maybe men in this room that have gone through the pain of abortion. Isn't it amazing that many times those who have been deeply wounded and scarred by that decision are now the very ladies that are used to offer life and hope and, and freedom to other people. Isn't it amazing that if you've ever gone to one of the nations of the world and you've seen the poverty or the hope, hopelessness and all of a sudden it because you saw, I remember Marion and I standing on the streets of a, of a slum-ridden street in El Salvador, watching uh, all that was going on, and it was surreal. We were standing side by side, weren't talking to each other, but I know we were having the same exact heart connection, same thought process without even speaking. And it was one of those moments where we said, God, whatever you want to do with our lives, we want to spend our lives loving a broken people, helping, helping those that are hurting, and we want to be a solution in the nations of the world. God will touch you by what you see. He'll awaken compassion in your heart. He'll use the things the devil meant to destroy you. And he'll turn them into something amazing where you can be a healer and a solution and hope for somebody else. How many of you know that's the truth? Give the Lord a hand for that. It's the truth. And I'll just say this. The times when I prayed the best prayers for you are the times when I was going through the most painful, crushing experiences personally. Because when you're, when you're in the midst of the furnace, you are very sensitized to the pain and hurting of other people. So praise God for the furnace and praise God uh, for the mercy that comes out of us when we've been touched. Very quickly here, let me wrap this up. Number three, after we've sympathized with people's pain, we need to seize the moment and we need to meet the need. We see the need, we sympathize with the pain, and then we have to seize the moment. Don't wait, don't delay, whatever you see, do it now. Even if it means giving away your TV set and your living room furniture. (laughs) 
Love is not a feeling. It's not what we feel like we need to do. Love is what we actually do. You can't say you love somebody because you have feelings for them. You love people by the way you treat people and the way you act and the way you serve. Notice here, this man stooped down. It was a demonstration of his humility. And you notice this, he didn't make an excuse. He didn't say, wait, let me call 911. He didn't call 911. He didn't bring the professionals on the scene. I mean, you know, he saw this man. He was needy. He took out what he had. He had some oil and he had some wine. And he didn't have bandages. He didn't have his little, his little kit. He probably started tearing his clothes up and using his own clothing as stress bandages. How many of you know our biggest excuse for helping people is what we don't have? How many of you have said this? You know, I just wish I knew the Bible more, and then I would get involved in that ministry. Do you know one of the greatest ways to learn the Bible is to start ministering to people? That's why I was so thrilled. Carly, my, my uh, son Joel's beautiful wife, when she first started coming to Living Stones, uh, she came from a church background where there wasn't a lot of emphasis on diving in the Word, studying the Word for yourself. So you know what's the first ministry she got involved in? Children's church. I mean, you know, children are very forgiving. And if you're loving and kind and you're studying your lesson so you can teach those kids, guess what? When you're studying that lesson, you're learning the Bible for yourself. And if you take what you're given and you give it away, guess what God gives you? More and he enlarges you. I remember when Scott was picking on my daughter, Caroline, in a good way, but he said, all right, hey, Caroline, you call out to the lady at the abortion clinic. You offer her hope. You speak to the woman going in there. You tell her that you'd love to pray with her. What? I've never done that. But then he just threw her right out there. Guess what she did? She opened up her mouth, and guess what? The lady came, and she prayed with her. How many you know when you're 16 years old and you do that, it changes your life? My dad would cart me around meetings all over the state where he was speaking and without any foreknowledge or warning. He was saying, my son's going to come up here right now and just share a brief testimony. And I'd be like, <laughs> I was freaking out. In fact, in the early stages, I was looking at him like, don't you dare do that. <laughs> None of it worked. He just said, hey, welcome him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And literally, literally between right there and right here, I'm praying some of the most deep, heartfelt prayers you could ever imagine. And they weren't long. It was something like this. Help me, Jesus. Help me. And you know what? I learned how to swim. That's how you learn how to swim. You get thrown into situations. Don't ever let what you don't have stop you from doing what with what you do have to bless somebody or love somebody. Don't let what you don't have to give away stop you from what you do have to give away to touch somebody. It's one of our biggest things that kills mercy and kills the ministry of the Lord in our lives is we don't use what we have. No excuses, man. Just serve people. Look what the Bible says. It's a strong warning in Proverbs 3.27. Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and I'll help you tomorrow. No. If you can help them now, help them now. Don't wait for better conditions. Don't procrastinate. Meet the need. Do it now. I want you to see this in, in verse 31. It says, by chance, in the new living, by chance, a priest came along. Now, how many of you know, people don't come along into our lives. If you're a Christian, there's no such thing as chance. You don't live by chance. You live by divine appointments and by the providence of God. 
Which means there's no interaction you're going to have with another human being that has not been allowed or set up by the Lord himself. Which means those people that show up at your doorstep at the most inconvenient time, let me just tell you, it's always the most inconvenient time, are really God's test to see if you're going to be available for his agenda or if you're too busy for for the setup that he just put in your lap. How many of you know ministry is never convenient? It's never convenient. There's always an interruption. There's always something, in our terms, unexpected. It's not unexpected to God. But love is inconvenient, and serving takes time. And we have to believe that God is engineering divine appointments and encounters all around us if we just had the supernatural vision to see what God was doing and had the courage to open our mouths and love people. These are mercy tests that are happening. In fact, you're gonna ha- you and I will be tested this week on our capacity to, to release the mercy of God. Isn't that cool? I'm telling you, I'm warning you, you're, it's not a pop test. It's coming. Look for the quiz and make sure you pass the quiz. And let me end with this. Verse 4. I mean, uh, num- point number 4. We talked about seeing. We talked about sympathizing. We talked about seizing. But number four is important. I must spend whatever it takes. In other words, there is a sacrifice involved in loving people. There's always a cost. There's always a price. There's always the price of time and energy, money, sometimes even our reputation. How many of you know when you love people that have a bad reputation, then many times you're guilty by association. Look at what they said about Jesus. Look who Jesus hangs out with. Sinners! (laughs) Like there was anybody else on planet Earth to hang out with. In fact, it was the Pharisees who were who always were misled like that, right? Like, who else is he going to hang out with? That's all he has to choose from is sinners. But Jesus took it on the reputation for us, didn't he? I like the Samaritan here. He, he puts the man on his own donkey. In other words, he puts him in the car uh, and he walks. He puts him in a hotel for the night. He stays with the man all through the night. And when he gets up in the morning, he pays that bill. And then he says, whatever other expenses are incurred, I will pick them up personally at his own expense, his own sacrifice. And I want to ask you this question because it's important. What did the Samaritan receive from the rich investment of his time and his talent and his treasure? What does the parable tell us he got back in return? Nothing. Now, we know that that's not true because whatever we do in Jesus' name, the Lord promises us great reward in the next life and great blessing in this life. So it's not like we ever bless people where God does not bless us in return. In fact, he promises just uh, the otherwise that he will bless us in return. But here's my point. I mean, you know, when you love people like that, you do it with no strings attached. You're not looking for a payback. You're not looking for a kickback. You're not the the perverted guy that invites a teenager into his house and then uh, takes advantage of her. No, there's no twisted kind of of payback. We love like Jesus. We love with hands wide open. We love with no strings attached. We give with nothing and expecting in return. And 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 I want to drive this point home just quickly. It's really easy to love people who just say thank you. But Jesus even says, love people and don't expect even them to thank you in return. Now, will you all please thank people when they bless you? But but you know better. But you know what? The folks that don't even know better, who are so broken, so hurting, that they're not even socially enough aware to say thank you. God says, love them anyway and don't expect anything in return. And this is what God says. I end with this verse. It's an amazing verse. Proverbs eleven seventeen. 
Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. Isn't that a great verse? Your own soul is nourished when you are kind or merciful or compassionate. In other words, this is what's cool. You know, sometimes the holidays can fill us up with a lot of great food and, and gifts and good stuff. But has anybody ever had that feeling where, you know, you're full on the inside, but your soul is, is, is scrawny? Your soul is undernourished? In other words, you've been doing all this holiday stuff, but here's, the, here's what I'm getting at. If it doesn't involve connecting in a meaningful way with people that are hurting or people that you can help or ways you can really demonstrate love, at some point your soul gets really uh, shriveled up and dies. And the Lord promises us if, if we'll love people and we'll be merciful to people, you'll be nourished. You, in fact, another verse I'm not going to have time to get to, but it talked about you literally glowing in the dark, that God would water you. You would have strength, your bones. You'd have health in your bones. It talks about physical health and well-being. Merciful people are healthy people. Isn't that cool? If you'll love people and be merciful, you'll be healthy. God will minister strength to you. Your heart will be healthy. Your body will be healthy. Your soul will be healthy. And you're going to bring health to a lot of other people. So here's my challenge this week. Can everybody come back next week with a testimony? And I'm putting you on the spot here. Because, like, what if I did this? I'm just I'm thinking this is like free flow here. Hope it's the Holy Ghost. But what if I did this? Like, next Sunday during our, after we get done worshiping, and I said, all right, here's your assignment. Find somebody, and you tell them a quick story of somebody that you ministered mercy to this past week. Would anybody take me up on that challenge? I mean, you'd have somebody, like a neighbor. Okay, nobody. That's great. Okay. I mean, I'm being serious. Like somebody that you specifically went out of your way or that God put in your life in a very inconvenient way because they showed up at your house or whatever, and you just loved them right there where they were at, all right? I'm looking for stories next week. God's just wanting to use through us. He's got so much mercy, he can't contain it. He's looking to release it through his church. So stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And let's ask the Lord for some eyes like his that can see, a heart that can feel like his, hands that will seize the moment, and a pocketbook that will do whatever it takes to bless people. Lord, we pray right now just for a fresh visitation of your spirit and of your presence in our lives. Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. God, slow us down. Put the brakes on. Help us to, 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 to stop moving so rapidly with our own agendas that we completely miss why we're really here. And Lord, over this holiday season, help us to love the people that you gave your life for and shed your blood for. Help us to love the broken and the hurting and the lonely and the grieving. And help us in tangible ways, Lord, to take from our abundance whatever it is that we have and to use it to bless somebody else. God, I know that as we do, we're going to be so healthy, so alive, so full of joy, so full of faith, God, that we'll be unstoppable. And that's what you want and that's what we want. So, Lord, bless us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name.